You can get early access to these shows by subscribing to kevinbarrett.substack.com. This is the second hour of Truth Jihad Radio. Kevin Barrett here doing a live show from the woods of western Wisconsin, bringing on folks to tell it like it is, way outside of the mainstream box. We're heaving bricks through the Overton window on a regular basis. And we're now bringing on uh, somebody that many of my listeners would know from False Flag Weekly News and other places perhaps as well, the legendary Helen of Destroy. That's right. Helen Bynisky is... One of the best internet writers out there and her new piece, Enjoying Your Membership in the Mass Shooting of the Day Club, is uh, vintage Helen and uh, pretty pretty uh, hardcore stuff. Um, so let's get into it. Hey, welcome, Helen. How are you? Good to be here. Yeah. All right. So uh, I, I love this essay. You're going over the suspicious aspects of these recent mass shootings and uh, beginning with the observation that when they tried to do damage control over at DHS by bringing in Michael Chertoff to chart the future direction of their Ministry of Truth after the debacle around Nina Jankowitz, uh, was, were they joking? Were they gaslighting <laughs> us? Uh, or are they really uh, crazy enough to think that putting Chertoff in there is damage control? and especially right at this moment when these dubious mass shootings break out. Um, go ahead, take it from there. I think that, I mean, they're relying in, in a large way on just the, the complete goldfish memory of the American people. I mean, a lot of people who are, who are just now, uh, have just now started waking up to the various problems with our system of government and our new world order and all of this have just gotten into this because of COVID and that they, they may, might not even know who Michael Chertoff is, or they might have forgotten who Michael Chertoff is because he hasn't really had his creepy looking Nosferatu-esque visage in the public media um, recently. So uh, I think a lot of people celebrated when Nina Jankowitz went down because she was such a thoroughly repulsive human being. And there was no possible way that anyone could possibly think that she would have done a, any sort of responsible job um, ministering to the propaganda narrative. So, I mean, some, somebody who can't even uh, care, can carry herself online in such a way that she feels the need to write a book about just the trials and tribulations of being female while on the internet. I mean, clearly this is somebody who's not going to be able to function in the service of any sort of hard-hitting uh, attempt to control information. So, yes, they would have to bring in somebody like Chertoff who really makes Dick Cheney look cuddly. I mean, this guy has really had, had his fingers in pretty much every sort of uh, mass, uh, either mass death event or atrocity or um, t taking away of the American people's rights that went on during the Bush administration and then went into the private sector after and continued to do his uh, dirty deeds. So, yeah, I mean, it, it really, the, the involvement of him uh, in this uh, Ministry of Truth thing definitely made me think that these, this latest round of mass shootings has more to do with taking away the First Amendment than exclusively the Second Amendment. It's, it seems designed to do both. Isn't it interesting that uh, the, you know, going back to the suspected 9-11 perp, Chertoff, uh, for uh, today's uh, issues, which really 9-11 you know, has been relegated to the back burner by many people, but I, I think the folks who have been pushing all this online censorship and propaganda uh, know very well that 9-11 uh, 
messed with their ability to control the larger narrative that the widespread skepticism about it was perhaps a key factor in opening the door for somebody like Trump to run for president by beating up on the media and on the mainstream view manufacturers. Uh, and, and uh, of course, Cass Sunstein in his book on conspiracy theories, causes and cures argued that someday we're going to have to make conspiracy theories illegal. And of course, his, his paradigm for conspiracy theory is, is 9-11 truth. But in the meantime, we need to cognitively infiltrate conspiracy movements and disable the purveyors of conspiracy theories, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So obviously Sunstein, Obama's information czar, saw a kind of a long term problem with the managers of narratives that had emerged from uh, 9-11 kind of blowing up in their faces and this truth movement coming out of it. And so now Chertoff, a key 9-11 suspect, is back uh, at this DHS, of course, an institution that came out of 9-11, uh, Ministry of Truth. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's kind of like a full circle. Maybe you can talk a little bit more about Churchoff's background and and the reasons that so many of us have considered him a 9-11 suspect. Well, I mean, the, his he, he comes from, from a long line, or a relatively long line, as long as one of these lines can be, of... Uh, this Israeli uh, supremacist. His mother was one of uh, one, was one of the original Mossad um, spies, basically. And she was a oh she she was a flight attendant on LL. Also happened to be a Mossad spy. But um, so he grew up in the midst of all of this. So this this idea of undermining the nation in which he lived. And so when he was working in the Bush administration. Um, actually, so, somebody p- commented on my on my article. I didn't even know that he that he was involved in the FEMA thing during Hurricane Katrina. So there's another mass casualty event that this guy has got his fingerprints all over. But he was um, I mean, he, he was uh, involved in in making torture the legal policy of the Bush administration. Uh, he was deeply involved in the ins- installation of these um, new body scanners at all the airports. Um, he was. The, uh, there's the obvious thing that I'm blanking on right now. I'm sorry. Um, well, he had, he had the DHS for a while. Oh yeah, well, yeah, he had the DHS, and he, he was also um, in, involved in the Patriot Act. He was, it wasn't just Biden who wrote the Patriot Act. Um, Chertoff had a lot to do with that too. Um, but yeah, it was most, mostly getting tortured, legalized, um, basically uh, any any sort of incident. Yeah, he, he was well DHS. Um, he had a lot of connections to these security, uh, these private security companies that basically opened the doors to a, a, any possibilities that the, the acts that would have had to precede 9/11 in order for it to be carried off in the way that uh, I think Chris Boland's book uh, does a pretty good job of describing the private security contracts that went into place, and Chertoff was very central to all of that. Um, but yeah, there's ever since he's uh, ever since the Bush administration came to an end and he was kind of relegated to the private sector, he's been very, very busy, uh, basically setting up all of these these um, counterterrorism contracts in which large sums of money are fobbed off to mostly uh, Unit 8200 backed uh, Israeli security companies, of which he's in, in deeply invested in many, including uh, Carbine 911, which is the Epstein uh, backed and Ahmed uh, Barak backed uh, company that basically turns all phones and other devices on which this app is installed into spy devices that can be accessed by 
anybody who happens to be working at Carbine 911, which is, again, one of these Unit 8200 uh, com- companies. And Unit 8200, for those who are not aware, is, although I think pretty much everybody who's listening to this show is aware, is uh, th- these people who were picked and chose at an early age by Israeli intelligence to basically serve in the dual purpose of working in the private sector, almost always in some security and or cybersecurity role, while also doing the bidding of the Israeli government in whatever country they happen to land. So it's very much a sort of cloak and dagger thing and emphasis on the dagger, especially in Chertoff's case. I mean, this guy is a real scumbag. Yeah, he was Bush's uh, head of what was he the head of the criminal division of the Department of Justice on 9/11. So he was the guy who actually sent the dancing Israelis home to Israel, right? So they, yeah, and and he he may have who knows whether he had some kind of connection with uh, uh, Bernie, uh, not Madoff, Bernie, uh, the, the Carrick. Bernie Carrick, yeah, 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 who who was also allegedly involved in covering up Israelis caught on 9/11. Uh, showing that they were part of the operation. Carrick supposedly covered up the arrest of a bunch of Israelis. In a, They had a, a truckload of explosives, and on the truck was painted a mural of a plane plunging into the World Trade Center. That's it's not very subtle. Uh, and they supposedly were trying to blow up the uh, bridges and tunnels of New York, and they caught at least one van load of them, supposedly. Carrick is alleged to have presided over the disappearance of all of that evidence and even some of the witnesses. And uh, whether or not that's true, we have full documentation about the dancing Israelis who were caught filming and celebrating. They were, According to the police report, they were set up to film before the first plane hit the building, and they started high-fiving and they got ended up getting nailed, and they had thousands of dollars of cash stuffed in their socks. They were working for Urban Moving Systems, Dominic Souter's Mossad front, and they were held for, I think, a month and a half. And then uh, none other than Chertoff, head of the criminal division of the Justice Department, sent them home without so much as a reprimand, even though they'd failed lie detector tests and said, uh, you know, we're, we're not your problem. The Palestinians are your problem. So they flew home to Israel, went on TV, and confessed that we were only there to document the event. As in, oh, I guess we didn't plant the explosives. <laughs> we were just there to document it. Uh, so, yeah, if a Chertoff has, has got his, his fingers in just all, all of these, you know, post-9-11 world uh, scandals, it seems like. Uh, and, and now they want him to take over as the new Mary Poppins <laughs> of the Ministry of Truth. <laughs> it's really ominous because, like, this, this, wherever this guy shows up, large amounts of people end up getting killed. So it's like, I mean, Nina Jankowicz was horrifying to behold and just generally just ugh, in bad taste, but you didn't get the feeling that she was running around, like, murdering people. Michael Chertoff, on the other hand, you get the feeling, I mean, if, if people say the wrong thing online and he gets uh, his panties in a bunch, not his panties as in the panties that had supposedly had an explosive on a plane, and that's why we all have to walk through these <laughs> body scans, but... But his, his big boy panties in a bunch, then uh, people are going to end up dead. And that's what we're seeing with these mass shootings, because it seems like this is this is what the, he feels like that we need in order to uh, shred what's left of the Constitution. Not that there is very much left at all. But um, I mean, the, the Second Amendment is the one that everyone looks at, because this has been the history of this American Gladio uh, series of just destabilizing events. And of course, the problem with these destabilizing events is that the more of them that you have, then the more desensitized the people become to them and you have to have more and more of them. And it just becomes this ridiculous amount of carnage, which we're seeing right now. 
which is just like there's multiple ones every day and it's like uh, so we're really supposed to believe this is happening organically um i don't think so sorry it's just very difficult to swallow well, on the other hand, you know, it, it kind of makes sense that the head of the disinformation governance board would be the guy who profited so much from that underwear bombing uh, charade, right? Where, where they, they had that, uh, was it a Nigerian guy or something, this Farouk or whatever his name was, who got coached yeah. and you know, no passport, right? Yeah. Yeah, for Mutalab, Mutala, who's, who's taken through the airport in, in Amsterdam, given special treatment, escorted on the plane, even though he didn't have a passport. And uh, then he was, I guess, filmed on the plane while he was uh, with, doing these crazy, you know, get, getting ready to strip down to his underwear and pull the bomb out, I guess. And, and he seemed to have, I guess there was a manager on the plane who was running him. And the witness, Kurt Haskell, ended up fleeing to Latin America, I guess. To yeah. so, so that I mean, that whole escapade was what sold the Rapo scan, uh, nude body scanners, as you mentioned in your article. And Chertoff was the key uh, investor, apparently, in that in that company. Uh, so. Yeah, disinformation governs. This guy seems to know a lot about disinformation when he's uh, apparently you know, involved in the people coming up with underwear bomb plots. Yeah, and it's just the, the fact that, that that these plots are so absurd on their face, and even things like these recent mass shootings, this Peyton Gendron guy in Buffalo, where it comes out that, oh, this retired FBI agent just happened to be this guy's best buddy online and had the details, including the exact location and city and where this guy was going to carry out his massacre. And, oh, he just decided to keep that to himself because, never mind, you're a retired FBI agent and supposedly a member of the law enforcement community. You just, uh, I guess it's just more convenient to have a whole bunch of people get killed. So it's like, I mean, it, 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 this, the, the, the string that runs through Chertoff's quote-unquote disinformation governance is basically, to rub it in our faces, this huge amount of disinformation, these uh, completely unbelievable stories, well, like the, the real conspiracy theory of 9-11, that, that, that 19 random dudes who couldn't fly a plane off a runway could somehow carry out this massive thing in this uh, one of the most uh, uh, structurally sound buildings in uh, the entirety of Manhattan was just brought down. Three buildings brought down by two planes. I mean, it's like this, the the idea that we're the conspiracy theorists, of course, is absurd on its face, but we've, I think, discussed this many times before. So Yeah, yeah, we, we've been over that territory on, on this show and others a few times. The, the, this Peyton Gendron or Gendron or however you pronounce his name, this guy who did the Buffalo shooting uh, and looked like uh, maybe he was under control of, uh, through possibly through that retired FBI agent. And that's, that is kind of stunning that the FBI agent would have had all that detailed information half an hour before the shooting and not chosen to share it with law enforcement. I mean, whether they teach these guys in the FBI Academy anyway, uh, but, but he ended up, you know, this jet Gendron guy, he, he published a manifesto that seems designed to whip up fear of white supremacists, of course, that's the boogeyman du jour, and I guess other kinds of conspiracy theorists and you know, marginal pe people like us, I guess, people who are questioning authority are uh, pretty much the kind of people that are going to have to be cracked down on, uh, especially by the Disinformation Governance Board and, and Chertoff. Uh, due to this manifesto, which I didn't actually read this one. I mean, I've read a couple of these shooter manifestos before, and I'm kind of getting tired of them. I don't know. Did, did you actually look at that one? 
I did, and it's the same as this, as all these other ones. It's mostly these these copy pasted like s- slabs of text that uh, he he claims to have been inspired by Brenton Tarrant, who is another one of these obviously controlled assassins, um, who who made made a big stop off in Ukraine, of course, because I mean that's that's the the next Israel basically. But um, yeah, Peyton Jenner's manifesto is largely like he's talking about his favorite kinds of guns and his favorite kinds of gear, and and and, and then there just happens to be this like these large um, repositories of memes where there's all this racist stuff, and then he just slips in there some stuff about our favorite international financial cartels and uh, how the, this is bad too. But oh, he's an anti-Semite too. With this, yeah, he tarries it with the same brush. So the idea is to get anybody who's talking bad about BlackRock or or Pfizer or any of these companies that are involved in the COVID scam, uh, that they would would then be considered of the same ilk as these people who are shooting up whatever, uh, basically shooting up at any public gathering place they can come up with. Now, I mean, they're they're running out of examples of types of places to destroy. But um, yeah, it's definitely the idea is to get anybody who espouses these ideas or variations on these ideas or things adjacent to these ideas to be considered a domestic terrorist. The definition of domestic terrorism has been so broadly expanded in the last few years that it basically means anybody skeptical of the government. And at this point, if you're not skeptical of the government, you're really, um, you're deliberately ignorant. Do you think that uh, this, these shootings might be part of uh, a setup for these January 7th show trials that are going on now, because the big accusation there is that these people who went to D.C. to protest what they thought was a stolen election are all a bunch of white supremacists, uh, just like uh, this Peyton Gendron who shot up uh, Buffalo. And so uh, it seems like there's a whole sort of series of public relations incidents, whether staged or not. Well, obviously, this the show trials in Congress are being staged, uh, designed to push a, a certain ideology to marginalize certain kinds of people and uh, to make the, the Patriot Act actually look kind of weak. You know, I, I wonder if things are going to get worse, especially if the war gets worse like if 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 this kind of low-grade war that we're in now with russia and china you know with china over the u.s bio attack on wuhan and uh, russia obviously in ukraine if the war gets worse the economy gets worse one would expect that people be herded into a much narrower pen and they'll be sort of forced or, or you know they'll be pressured to parrot the talking points of the war party uh, and and dissidents will be even more unwelcome than it is now. And it kind of looks to me like they're doing that. You know, they've herded the sheep into the pen and they're, they're tightening the fences around the sheep. They're, they're, it looks to me like they're kind of preparing for a war situation when there's no more free speech at all. Do you get that sense that, that things are either ratcheting it down or they're, they're boiling the frog and that things could get a lot worse before they get better? Oh yeah, that's definitely what's, Going on, I mean, as as you said, the uh, the the this the, this this rash of mass shootings also serves as a reminder to the people who have forgotten about January 6th, because it, as these events go, it, it was a completely non-entity. Because I mean, these a, a bunch of unarmed people who showed up to protest an election they thought was stolen. I mean, that's not an insurrection, and certainly not an armed insurrection. And this 
the fact that there are people in other countries right now who fully believe that a bunch of people showed up at, in the Capitol building with a bunch of guns and held everybody hostage. And I, I've actually spoken to people in England who believe that this is how it went down. And it's just unbelievable to me. But, um, yeah, they, they tried to hang Mike Pence. They, they got they got him halfway up the scaffold. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it, one, one almost wishes that they had done something to these Congress people because they're completely useless human beings. But I, I mean, it's it wouldn't be worth going to jail over. And I, obviously, this is not what happened. So, yeah, the, 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 the idea was to remind everybody of how this is what they're supposed to fear. I mean, you have uh, what's his name, the FBI uh, guy up there t- talking about how white supremacy is the biggest threat to humanity and that we all must be on guard against this gorge of like four dudes in a trailer park somewhere in like West Virginia. And um, it's, it's really, yeah, they're they're definitely boiling the frog at this point. The frog is thoroughly boiling. Um, They're they're letting, letting up uh, a little bit of pressure release as far as the COVID thing and letting people out of their houses. They, the U S I believe just finally rolled back um, the restrictions as far as being able to fly in and out of the country so you know that in probably six months when the food starts to food supply starts to dry up, then things are going to get a little hairy and uh, people are going to be uh, well, they'll easily be turned on their neighbors as they were taught to do over masks. Now it will be something else. I mean, if you don't have your Ukrainian flag up in your window or you don't have your I'm sure they'll come up with other symbols. I mean, I, I don't think that they can flog this Ukraine thing for too much longer. People are getting bored of it. And I mean, again, this is the problem when you have these constant string of uh, this mass hysteria events is that they lose their effectiveness after a while and you have to come up with a new one. And so it's monkeypox or it's uh, now now they're talking about, uh, oh, yeah, China is going to take Taiwan and this all this nonsense. It's it's not uh, it's not going to go well, let's say. So I don't understand how they've been able to sort of transform the left-right spectrum so quickly. Like after 9-11, in the early days of the truth movement, when I was doing teach-ins and traveling around doing speeches, and you know, for a while we were getting crowds of over a 1,000 people to come see the 9-11 truth films in Minneapolis, and, and all those people were Democrats. You know, they were the same people in Minneapolis that knew that Wellstone had been taken down. <clears throat> and then um, it seemed that somehow Trump's election flipped it. Now the yes, Republicans the, support civil liberties and they're the peaceniks. What happened? Well, I mean, that after after Bush was out of office, then it was Obama and everybody was just in such a relief. At least the Democrats were in such a relief that Bush was finally gone, that they just embraced Obama, despite the fact that he turned two wars into seven and that he destroyed the nation of Libya and uh, just started the process of destroying Syria and um, so everybody just gave up on their convictions and you, the anti-war movement completely collapsed. I mean, the Republicans were never particularly anti-war, although now they're becoming more so. But I mean, more so than nothing is not very much. And so it's you did have a bunch of these Republicans who at least had been semi against the whole COVID industrial complex uh, go right back, revert to type immediately when uh, the Ukraine thing happened and they had everybody, oh, yes, you must stand with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters. No, we don't have Ukrainian brothers and sisters. This is nonsense. This is, this is the same news organizations that were five minutes ago talking about how the, this, the bunch of Nazis running Ukraine. It's like, oh, we must stand with our Nazi brothers and sisters. Okay, well, I mean, it's interesting that 
you guys would be suddenly embracing these Nazis. I call them wanna Nazis because, I mean, no self-respecting Nazi is going to let himself be ordered around by a Jewish president. But, you know, these are not self-respecting Nazis, I guess, you know. Indeed. Um, well, the, uh, uh, the the current push for uh, for war with Ukraine uh, seems like it's they have managed to get the usual peace party, which would be the left and the Democrats neutered. And they've demonized the pro-peace people as white supremacists. Meanwhile, we're aligning with the Nazis. It's it's all over in Ukraine. It's very confusing, um, but it it uh, does make me sort of uh, wonder what you know. How, how is this going to play in the next elections? Like if you know, they're basically demonizing the middle of the road, sort of average, kind of viscerally conservative folks, you know, the middle Americans who might very well be, you know, what Nixon used to call a silent majority. They may not be as big a majority today as they used to be, but they're kind of upset about the fact that they're demographically shrinking and demonizing that kind of silent majority uh, of a country seems like a weird strategy in terms of a, a scapegoating strategy to unite the people in hatred of an internal enemy, as Carl Schmidt and Leo Strauss taught, that's a neocon specialty to do that. But usually the, they pick minorities to hate. They, they pick foreigners and minorities to scapegoat. And, of course, the original Nazis you know, picked on Jews who were a small minority, although they had a heck of a toehold in the positions of wealth and power in Germany. And similar episodes throughout history where politicians have rallied people to hate some enemy. It's, if they go after an internal enemy, it, it really has to be a small, helpless minority. But now it seems that by hating on the white supremacists, there, you know, there really aren't any white supremacists, but what they're calling white supremacists is just kind of the ordinary conservatives and Republicans and you know the, the populist types, the, the ordinary folks, the Main Street folks. I don't see how that's a winning political strategy. And all the polls seem to show that the Democrats are not looking in real good shape for the next set of elections. Uh, what, what are they going to do to turn it around? Are they going to keep trying to up the ante with false flags and show trials? And is that even going to work? I mean, does anybody even really get excited about the, these show trials that they're broadcasting on every single network it just seems to me to be a kind of a, a you know whatever you think about the morality which obviously is, is atrocious uh, as a political strategy it just seems insane to demonize kind of the the solid majority of your country well that's the idea of controlling perception i mean the idea is to atomize this group so that people are divided along every single possible line so that's why they try to do all these mass shootings in the, in the hope of getting some people to turn against other people in, the, in their party over, oh, well, you know, maybe we should crack down on these rights or maybe we should uh, in, enforce mental health treatment, even though, like, as I mentioned in the, in the article, uh, the Ur mass shooting of Columbine, those, both of those guys were, the, the entire community basically came out and said they were on antidepressants and this is, this is why they started acting really weird and they started acting really violent and, so, yeah, sure. Uh, enforcing psychiatric treatment, no, bad idea. But, um, yeah, as, as far as the, the idea of turning on a, a majority, the idea is to present it as not being a majority. This is why they kick these people off Twitter. This is why they kick these people off Facebook and social media. The people who use Facebook don't really believe in life outside of Facebook. I mean, it's, it's a weird sort of echo chamber. 
And obviously this phenomenon has been discussed in, in ad nauseum and things like the, the, what was the name of that movie? Um, the, the, not the social network, but there was one, one about Facebook and how it uh, got, gets into people's minds and controls them by, via the algorithm and get seizing their attention. And so people are constantly reacting to things and they, they don't really have a chance to sort of form community anymore, especially after COVID where everybody was just kept inside. So the idea is just to fragment communities and to break up families by, okay, well, this, if you have a disagreement over a mask or a disagreement over vaccines or a disagreement over this or that, um, it, 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 that's basically the point is that while the, the silent majority might be a majority on a, in a deeper sense, they want people fighting over these really forgettable issues and yeah, things like January 6th, which I mean, they're really pushing it down everybody's throats. Every single trend on Twitter today was in some way related to January 6th. Every, every network except for Fox was broadcasting it, and Fox was being basically accused of war crimes for not broadcasting it. It's like nobody cares. And the perception, they have to keep this perception that everybody cares, but it's, I mean, it's flipping, which is why they're bringing somebody like Michael Chertoff to shove it down everybody's throats. And that's why the violence and that's why it, it has to be this 24 7 365 like never letting up because once you do let up and that's why i mean a lot of people have been wondering okay well where when's going to be this emp when's going when the, when is the power going to go out they if the power goes out they lose because people uh, lose access to their propaganda delivery devices and then what are they going to do uh, start talking to each other again i don't think so Right. Well, it's, and all of this is based on the politics of fear. All of these issues, whether 9-11, which terrorized people into believing they might be blown up in a building. And since most of us don't go into high rises, they had to send anthrax because we all do have mailboxes. So the whole country became completely paranoid and thought it was going to be blown up and or poisoned by some Muslim terrorist at any moment. And uh, since then, we've seen the politics of fear continue and it's, it's kind of morphed. Now they've trained all the left liberal Democrat types to fear Trump and the Trump followers and the white supremacists. And, of course, COVID was all about the politics of fear. They terrorized everybody into putting cloth on their mouths and, and doing all sorts of other uh, things and taking experimental injections and so on and so forth. And now these mass shootings that you wrote about in your article obviously are designed to terrorize people. And what's more terrorizing than your kids being vulnerable to being shot up in the school? Uh, and, and this Uvalde shooting seems, you know, to follow a pattern. There are a number of parallels between it and Sandy Hook. And, you know, I'm agnostic on Sandy Hook. Um, Jim Fetzer's arguments strike me as I, I doubt very much he's right about all of them, maybe a few of them. Uh, but there certainly are a lot of anomalies in these cases. And in Uvalde, the police just waiting around for an hour uh, instead of going in there when the kids are still being killed. That was very strange. And then, as you mentioned in your article, the uh, shooter buying $5,000 worth of expensive assault yeah. rifles. So what, what do you think about this? Uh, maybe talk a little bit about your, your sense of what might have actually happened in Uvalde and, and why. Well, I mean, it seems pretty clear that the, the idea was to let either this person or people, I mean, in uh, the Parkland shooting, there was some sort of indication that there was more than one person going around in there shooting people. And um, I think that that might have been the case in the Suvalde thing as well, because they, they wanted to keep the police out of there for as long as possible. And so they 
it's they had had these guys waiting and they were literally arresting parents who were trying to go in there to get their kids because the kids were calling out and saying contacting their parents and saying uh yeah there's a shooter in the school and so i mean i don't know uh, as far as the, the uh, actual deaths themselves i don't know i haven't uh, been able to substantiate some of the claims that people are making there and i certainly don't want to say anything that i can't back up with evidence so i'm not going to do that because i'm not jim fetzer and i don't want to ruin the ability to research these events for everybody else who likes to do it or not who likes to do it but who <laughs> uh, feels compelled to do it for reasons of like you know not wanting to have their rights completely taken away and et cetera, et cetera. but um yeah, the thing about these things was completely suspicious. I mean, they, they had had um, some that, that somebody at least found a Facebook post that appeared to uh, call for a uh, a drill um, a, a couple of months ago in Uvalde to test out their new uh, security thing, and they, they had just gotten they, they were they were they had been boasting about their new security systems, which apparently could be defeated by something as minor as an open door and. Yeah, the, the, the constantly changing story, the fact that even the mainstream media was forced to observe this constantly changing story. Uh, CNN had a story where they mentioned that um, that this Salvador Ramos guy had posted a, a picture of the receipt uh, showing how much he had paid for these guns and that he had sent it to somebody and that that somebody had, had responded something like, guns are boring and then it, he, that that uh, he I don't remember the, the response, but it was something very minor. And then CNN completely removed that from its article. I mean, I I still I found it on archive.org and I posted the, the link in my story. You can see the original and you can see the current story. But I mean, the fact that that was removed, I think they realized that wait a second, we're saying this kid got bullied because he was poor, and here he is walking around with five thousand dollars worth of like expensive military gear. And I mean that that's we're supposed to think he he got this from working at Wendy's for what four months? I, I'm sorry, I don't think you make five thousand dollars working at Wendy's for four months, but I don't know maybe maybe Wendy's pays better down in Texas than it does in anywhere else. But um, yeah, you know, the, the whole the whole story is just so dodgy, and the idea that oh yes, there was a school resource officer who tried to stop him, but but couldn't. Oh, and actually, no, wait, there wasn't one because the. Uh, it, it, this they, they can't they can never seem to get their stories straight and then there there were two fathers one of the kids supposedly had two fathers and they tried to cover that up that they, they tried to fact fact check that out of existence by saying uh that this emory garza that, that she she supposedly had these two fathers and oh well one was her father and one was her stepfather well then why did they have the same last name that's not how father and stepfather works you don't take your wife's name when you marry her that doesn't at least not, that's not a normal thing to do maybe if this is the one case right I, I think the fact checkers claim that it's a coincidence they just happen to have the same name well maybe but oh no you know. no the, the one the one that i saw news the newsweek fact check that i saw they claimed that it was um i, I think it was newsweek maybe it was the sun there were two fact checks that i saw and, and yeah they, they they were um both they one, one said that it was the, a coincidence. The other said that it was a father and a stepfather. So they they can't even get those stories straight. So it's it's really ridiculous. The, the, their complete sloppiness. And I, I I do believe the sloppiness is deliberate. I mean, there's uh, there's a quote that uh, somebody that I work with posted recently on his Telegram about uh, how the 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 part of demoralizing a population is to feed it the most like unbelievable just sloppy, poorly done propaganda and tell them this is the truth. And that's just, you slowly demoralize the population by doing that. And that's what we're being subjected to right now, I believe.
Yeah, I think that's what happened after they, they blew up Building 7 in broad daylight after announcing they were going to on the BBC and CNN. And uh, then, you know, to said anybody who questions that is a crazy conspiracy theorist, <laughs> I think they kind of did demoralize people and prevent them from engaging with reality, kind of like in, in those Seligman experiments where he uh, induces learned helplessness in dogs, you know, by shocking them. And they can't do anything to avoid the shocks. So they finally just curl up and turn into blubber on the floor of their cage. And that's kind of how the American people seem to be reacting to some of this stuff. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned the the other shootings, and I hadn't even really been paying close attention to these. There, what there was a New Orleans graduation shooting, a Tulsa hospital shooting, a Pittston, Pennsylvania Walmart shooting, a Los Angeles high school shooting, all, all within forty eight hours. I mean, they're going by so fast, I hardly even notice them anymore. Um, what, what's with that? Yeah. I, I I haven't even gotten a chance to research half of those. I mean, I just I just happened to see in the news was one after another. I mean, I did. I, wrote, I ended up writing a story about the um, the Oklahoma one where it was a guy who came in and shot up the hospital where a doctor had supposedly botched his back surgery. So he kills the doctor, uh, he kills the receptionist, and then he kills like a patient, and then there's one other person, I think it was another doctor. So he kills four people and then supposedly kills himself. Okay, well, I mean, you can call that a motive, I guess. And then there was another one in Iowa where... It was a guy who was trying to get revenge on his ex-girlfriend, so he kills her and her friend in the parking lot of this church, one of these big mega churches. And, I mean, you know when they start going after the mega churches and are really trying to get the Republicans to change their gun, their stance on gun laws. But, um, yeah, the, 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 the rapid pace of these events is clearly designed so that just nobody, unless you have just... No, nothing to do if you have no if you don't have to work if you don't have to put food on the table or put a roof over your head uh then yes you can sit there and research mass shootings all day but uh normal people don't have time to do this and certainly the media is not doing it so it's like you just end up seeing these things go by and you feel well, learned helplessness as you said in a way, it does kind of discourage you from looking into the anomalies or even, you know, thinking that there would be a point to staging mass shootings when there's so many of them that, you know, for a long time, I was resistant to the idea of mass shootings being false flags in general, unless there was some sort of political edge to them, just because there are so many of them that why would they have to stage any? But then again, it does seem that the ones that get trumpeted the most, sort of with the, the most victims and these kinds of characters right out of central casting, you know, like Adam Lanza and Sandy Hook and, uh, and this guy uh, in Texas, that they're maybe uh, selling like extra special ones to make them memorable. But still, I mean, there are, there are you know, so many shootings going on, and you know, I forget how many on the average per day or per week in, in Chicago alone. And, and Chicago is a there, there, there were 12 in Philadelphia over the course of one weekend. Right. That, that can't, they can't all be MK Ultra, can they? No. Then that's why they don't, really, they don't play up these ones. These ones in Chicago, these ones in Philadelphia, they don't talk about this stuff because it's, there's, a lot of them are like gang violence or just somebody caught in the crossfire, or somebody, a lot of them, there's the, the death tolls are low, and it's just people getting injured, or, or if there is a dead person, there's one or two, and usually there's a lot more injured people. But for some reason, these ones that get talked up the most are the ones where somehow this person comes in, and they, they, never mind if they've never handled a weapon before, they somehow seem to have perfect aim. And again, this Uvalde one, this kid supposedly couldn't even drive, and he takes his grandmother's car and drives it into a ditch, and... He, he comes out and he's got these guns that he bought with his Wendy's money and it's 
it, it really, you have to really want to believe the story to believe the story. And how is this kid uh, supposedly able to pick off all these, uh, because again, it was, it was one of these situations where there, there were not like injured kids. It was just dead, 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 dead. So, I mean, it, obviously if you're keeping the um, emergency personnel out for an hour, then it's going to be easier for the kids to bleed out who are getting shot. But it's still, it's, it seems like there there should be more injuries and less just completely dead bodies. It's it's a little suspicious, let's say. Right. I mean, so, so an intelligent discussion of this whole topic would have to include investigating some of these cases to find out what's really going on, recognizing that we do have uh, false flag events, agents provocateur, uh, and so on, and um, real life Manchurian candidates such as Sirhan Sirhan. I mean, until we solve that case, uh, we're going to have to be suspicious about Manchurian candidates in many cases. Um, and and then again, we also should be thinking about the culture of violence and how, how to change that. You know, how, what history has bequeathed us, and so on. And why why are these young men? going crazy, and particularly young, uh, poor, working-class men seem to be having more and more problems these days. Life expectancy has gone way down for working-class white people in particular. So what's up with all of that? I mean, these are the kinds of discussions that would make sense, but instead what we're getting is uh, gun laws, which probably won't work very well and certainly are not really going to be, you're not going to take everybody's guns soon. There are just too many guns out there and the people with them aren't going to let you take them. And then they're talking about pre-crime measures, like this deep program, keeping an eye on people on the Internet and anybody who's, quote unquote, mobilizing towards violence or seems to be based on what they're posting on the Internet. uh, That is grounds for an intervention. (laughs) And I can certainly imagine the slippery slope from there to going after people who are mobilizing against the government, mobilizing against the mainstream media, mobilizing against uh, the propaganda line, mobilizing against the current war, uh, I think it it looks to me like they're actually trying to send things heading off down that slippery slope. Uh, So what do you think? Maybe tell us a little bit more about this DEEP program. Yeah, the DEEP and HARPA, the other one, the Health Advanced Research Projects Agency, which obviously is the parallel of DARPA, Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. Both of these are basically pre-crime programs. The idea is to monitor people's social media communication, uh, monitor monitor their behavior, uh, track all of their devices. So, like, even if they're wearing a Fitbit or something, track their their heart rate or their sleeping uh, patterns or their the, the amount of time they spend online, what, what websites they're visiting, all of this. And this is why they ha- this, again why they have these manifesto, uh, why they make a big deal about these manifestos. Then say, oh, we we need to get this offline, but first they make sure that everybody reads it so that or that everybody has a possibility of reading it, so they know what ideas will be declared off limits next. And this is uh, why they, the, the definition of domestic terrorism has broadened so much, as I was saying before, because they want the, the more people uh, who express these ideas to be seen as the enemy and to be seen as something to be feared. And uh, this is why they had, uh, I think it was a couple of years ago, that guy who sent all those packages to the media organizations, the CNN, and uh, to the politicians, and that guy in Florida, I forget his name, but... Uh, I do remember the package being sent to CNN and I was actually in the area at that time and I was watching as everybody was come streaming out of the building and watching them uh, literally write and rewrite the headlines in real time to shape the narrative, which is... I'm sorry, where was this? This was in Columbus Circle, the CNN offices, um, CNN Time Warner. They had sent, somebody had sent a, a package that was supposed, that people thought was a bomb 
and so they were uh, evacuating the building. I don't remember if this was in connection with that guy in Florida or if this was a different incident, because I believe there were two CNN incidents with, like, bombs, but um, it wasn't a real bomb, actually, in, in reality. It's just, like, this guy's, the, the Florida guy's uh, Cesar something. I don't remember the name. That's the problem. There are so many of these things. You can't possibly remember all the names and all the details. And so people eventually just let it all run together. But um, getting back to what you were saying more about the pre-crime programs, I mean, this is this is definitely, this is why Chertoff was set up to do this disinformation stuff, because the ability that they have to get into people's social media profiles and basically just monitor them at the granular level is, insane at this point. I recently read an article on The Intercept, which, I mean, I know The Intercept is not necessarily the, the best source, but uh, this was a, a, a pretty good expose of this uh, certain, uh, it's called like Snapdragon or something like that, uh, or something dragon, Shadow Dragon maybe, um, but it's it's this this program that they have that, that even the, the capabilities of this program have not fully been made public, but these police uh, departments are all using this to monitor people uh, and uh, data miner is another one of these apps and like all this geofencing stuff. And so they, they can basically tell where you are, what you're doing and who you're with at any given time. And of course, Pegasus, NSO Group, the uh, yet another unit 8200 Israeli company uh, that turns your phone into a spy device, even more than it already is a spy device, can remotely activate your microphone and camera. Um, so the, the, the fact is that they... they come up with these behavioral patterns by monitoring these mass shooters and they use those patterns to then uh, they superimpose that on anybody else who behaves in this way and then they can say oh that guy is acting just like that guy did before he shot up x school or x shopping mall or whatever and that the idea will eventually be that okay well he went on forces and he said some mean things about you so one um, we're going to have to take him away, and that's what we're going to see very soon, I think. Well, I wonder if they're going to accept it as probable cause if the uh, DHS or whoever you know says that, well, we're monitoring this guy's typing on social media. And what we've discovered is that there's a particular typing rhythm that's associated with people becoming mass shooters. So we're yep. going to have to come down and, and grab this guy. I mean, it, it sounds like it's right out of that, uh, that uh, what was the, the pre-crime movie based on a Philip K. Dick novel? What was that called? Minority, Minority, Minority Report. Report, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like right out of that. And, um, and certainly such things could never be misused, could they? Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's yeah, inherently, yeah. of course, being misused. I mean, the whole thing is ridiculous. Yeah, that's, again, getting back to Chertoff and Carbine 911, I mean, that's, they, if they can activate all phones and in the area of a mass shooting or a, a, what they call an emergency event, and suddenly they, they have the ability to see what everybody else is seeing and hearing at that time, I mean, the capacity for uh, evil doing, let's say, is enormous and unlimited, and that's why they come out with these programs. And so they're selling this software that they want to get people to install just in case you happen to be at the scene of a mass shooting that then uh, Chertoff and his friends can take over your phone and everybody else's phone that has that app on it and uh, see everything that's going on. I mean, are they really going to be able to sell this to people? Well, they're selling it to right now. They're selling it to 911 dispatch centers. They're trying to upgrade these. Apparently, these 911 dispatch centers are are woefully outdated and the, the ideas, I mean, Carbine 911 actually a couple of years ago put out a, uh, a marketing pamphlet basically selling their program as the solution to mass shootings. You can still see it again on archive.org. They've taken it off their website, but 
I have a copy, and I linked to it on my uh, article, so you can go there and see it. But, um, yeah, it's basically that they sell it as, okay, well, if we just get this on everybody's phone or if we just make sure that people, uh, say, people who are, they've, they've forced students at various schools and universities to install coronavirus apps, so why not force them to install um, this snitch app, this uh, 911 app? And because we need to keep the kids safe. And of course, the parents are going to go right along with that because they want to keep their kids safe. And so it's it's a very as you said, slippery slope and um, get, getting people to install these things. The, the degree to which snitch culture has been embraced and propagated in schools is I think it's difficult for people to really understand if you don't have a child in a school or if you don't actually work in a school yourself. I mean, I, just the, the bits and pieces that I get from searching for this stuff. There are, are schools that have deals with the Department of Homeland Security that, like, students get financial rewards for turning in uh, members of their class if they uh, suspect that, that person is, well, mobilizing towards violence or using drugs or whatever. Uh, the, the idea of, like, being paid to rat out your classmates is inculcated in these kids from a very early age. And, again, these are also the kids who are growing up without privacy, the ones who are growing up with smartphones. And so uh, we're going to see a very scary generation. We also saw this in January 6th, uh, these kids turning in their parents and being rewarded for it in the media and hailed as heroes because they turned in their parents for doing the unthinkable crime of going to Washington, D.C. and demanding justice. I mean, how dare you want justice for your country? That's a terrible thing to want. It's, it's really ridiculous. So they're selling this kind of Stasi culture. Uh, and surveilling us, and the censorship is getting worse and worse all the time. So in this more and more censored and surveilled society, we're supposed to be marching off to war with the unfree countries of Russia and China and Iran, because, of course, where have we heard this before? They hate our freedom. Uh, <laughs> is, is there a contradiction here somewhere, Helen? <laughs> well, I mean, they, 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 hated, they hated us for our freedom, so we got rid of them, is what I always say. <laughs> Yeah. Um, well, there you go. Yeah, now they won't attack us anymore. <laughs> yeah, that, that's. Uh, that's uh, I just wrote an article earlier today about uh, this. The, uh, the former Anders Fogh Rasmussen, the former NATO director, wants to have a, an economic version of NATO's Article Five, which is the mutual defense, uh, pro the mutual defense proponent, where basically if one country is attacked, all the other countries have to go in and join the join the party. But an economic one. So basically. If uh, Russia and China are eating our lunch economically, then all the other Western countries have to come together and defeat them, basically uh, cheat them out of their what, what is rightfully theirs as far as, I mean, there's, yes, Eurasia has all of the resources, all of the uh, energy resources, all of the rare earth minerals, all the stuff you actually need to run a country and build a society. The United States doesn't even have the factories to build things out of these materials anymore. We just have... Uh, a bunch of like we just have bullshitters. I mean, I don't know if you can say that on the radio. Sorry. Oh, no, that, um, that's that's yeah. That, that's that's basically what we what we have. We have people who can tell stories, and unfortunately, the quality of those stories are deteriorating rapidly. And so, even like people halfway around the world whose ideas of what the United States is are based on Hollywood movies and stuff. Even these people are gradually uh, waking up as as the United States makes its makes its enemies around the world. Um, it's that, that, uh, that meme that uh, Li Jiang uh, Zhao, who I'm probably mispronouncing his name, that one of the foreign ministers of China uh, posted this meme that's showing the quote-unquote civilized world, and it basically shows uh, the United States, Canada, um, Europe, and like 
Japan, and that's pretty much it. And it's like this, this is this is the the sphere of influence that the United States and NATO still have, and the vast majority of the population of the world and the, the resources of the world are um, are not aligned with this uh, this program. And so the, the idea that we think we're going to be able to shove this of our will down the other people's throat, either militarily, we're running out of weapons that we're shipping over to Ukraine, and they're then selling those weapons to like jihadists in Syria and Libya and all over the place. I mean, if you, they, they, there are all these images of these weapons popping up on the dark web being sold by the Ukrainian military. And it's like, I mean, really, we're making a big mess. That's for sure. Well, we only have a minute or two left, but maybe, uh, well, you know, I experienced after 9-11 uh, being Muslim and teaching Islamic studies, uh, suddenly that was the big target of hatred. Uh, and now Russia is the big target of hatred. And I noticed that there there are people who have picked on you because you used to write for RT, which whether or not it's based in Russia, it's still uh, a much better journalistic outlet than most of the U.S. competition. But yet just any association with anything Russian seems to set a lot of people off these days. Um, have you been experiencing a lot of uh, harassment and, and bullying or whatever from you know people who who you know have this bizarre fixation on hating everything that with any connection whatsoever to Russia? Well, it's the same the same as usual. I mean, you get these people who say, "Oh yes, you hate America." Yeah, that's why I live there, dude. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. So I, I, there are times I wish I lived somewhere else, certainly. But um, it, the idea of Oh, yeah. You, you hate America and everything it stands for. Well, no, actually, the ideas that this country is based on were good ideas. The problem is that we've deviated so much from that and had our, ourselves overtaken by this brain parasite. Uh, you, you see these images of these uh, parasitic wasps that burrow into the uh, burrow into these creatures and then they, they drive them to death and then they use their bodies to hatch their eggs. I mean, that's what we're dealing with in the United States right now. And so. I mean, it's unfortunate. It the idea, the ideal uh, solution would be to remove the parasite and, you know, regenerate the country. But I don't see that happening anytime soon. And so, yeah, I mean, Russia is the least of our problems. And so I generally ignore the troll. Right. And, and if these people running foreign policy had any brains, they would notice that China is the big competitor in terms of its economy, its technology, and eventually it will be its military, too. So the last thing on earth that we should be doing is picking a fight with Russia. We should actually be friends with Russia and uh, kind of be a little cooler towards China. And But, of course, that would be too rational and strategic. So instead, we have to do everything completely wrong and shoot ourselves in the foot while causing all kinds of suffering all over the world. I guess uh, that's uh, that's the neocon philosophy for you. Well, thank you so much, uh, Helen Bynisky. I love doing False Flag Weekly News with you and uh, the radio show, too. This latest article on uh, enjoying your membership in the mass shooting of the day club uh, was, as, as usual, uh, acerbic and bracing and refreshing uh, fun to read, but also uh, touching on objects that really should, should make everybody pretty angry. Uh, so keep up the great work, and God bless, and looking forward to talking again. All right. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. That's Helen Bynisky, otherwise known as Helen of Destroy. Uh, you're listening to Truth Jihad Radio. Oh, by the way, she's at helenofdestroy.substack.com. I highly recommended. I'm Kevin Barrett of truthjihad.com. That's recommended, too. And I'll be back, inshallah, next week, same time, same channel. See you then.